Please join with me in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day for your word for us. We pray that you might speak to us in a new way, that we might learn and grow and grow closer to you in our faith. We thank you for the gift of faith in our lives. Amen. So faith, what is it? What is faith? How, how do you even define the word? I wonder how you would describe faith, the word, to someone else. Sure, the context matters, I understand. So let me put forward a couple of examples. If you were on a game show, for instance, you know, one of those old game shows, the ones where someone sits across from someone else and they try to get them to guess a word by giving them clues without saying the word they're trying to guess. There were a few of those shows. If you were trying to get your partner to say the word faith, I wonder what one word or phrase you would try to say to them to get them to elicit the response. What word would you say? I wonder if you'd say belief. I think that would be the first word that I would say. Now, maybe in other contexts, like with people from the church, especially some of the more involved churchy folks, I might say blank formation or maybe affirmation of faith, right? These little games, they don't get to the root of the definition though, or, or do they? These three examples that I've just given, they might actually help me to get us to frame an understanding of the word faith. As I said, belief was my first automatic correlation. While it, it almost seems as though we make them synonyms, right? And, and they're not quite synonyms, though. I think that we often blur these concepts of faith and belief. And I don't think that I'm unique here in, in doing that. Um, there's often very little distinction between a phrase like, I believe in God, and I have faith in God. Or if I asked someone to, to prepare a statement of faith, or what is your statement of faith, you might point to the Apostles' Creed as a simple restatement of faith, or maybe even the Nicene Creed, which dates back to the year 325. Both of these creeds, very much statements of faith, start out with belief. In fact, the words are, I believe, or we believe. So these creeds, and together with the other confessions of the church, and to be real clear, by confessions, we don't mean confession like the confession of sin that we just did with um, uh, our prayer. We mean affirmations or declarations of faith. The confessions, all the confessions contained in our book of confessions, they're really affirmations or declarations. Confession is one of those words that has multiple and extremely different definitions within even the church. The most common usage of the word, the word, the way we use it every week is confession as in the confession of sin. But declaration is the definition in the context of the book of confessions. And I'll confess as in admitting, not declaring, I'll confess that part of why I'm sharing this distinction now is that I neglected to do so on Wednesday night when I was giving a crash course in our book of confessions, which again, might be called our book of declarations and affirmations. Okay, so look at these declarations, look to them, and they nearly all use variations of words that derive from and point to belief. 
In fact, our book of order, the other half of our constitution, says that in these statements, the church declares to its members and to the world who and what it is, what it believes, and what it resolves to do. So then, this is interesting. These declarations describe what the church, an entity, believes. But then, what is this thing we call the church? And the Book of Order has many definitions of the church. But one is simply this, a community of believers. Accordingly, these declarations in the Book of Confessions, according to the Book of Order, serve to strengthen personal commitment and the life and witness of the community of believers. Belief. Belief is fundamental. It's foundational to our understanding of what it means to be a part of the church and a follower of Christ. And so then, what is faith? Is it belief? If it is, then why two words? I looked a little closer at this, and I do think that more often than not, in today's church and in today's world, we blur the two. We blend them. We make them the same. But our text this morning is about belief, and it is about faith. And I don't think the distinction is splitting hairs. In fact, it's critical to our attempt to understand this strange text and our lifelong attempt to understand what it even means to be on this journey with God, to be on this journey toward and in faith. Abraham's belief has never been a question. Sometimes this is obvious, right? Abraham has the gift or the burden of being one to whom God speaks. In fact, one of my favorite passages in Genesis is one we haven't looked at during this series from Genesis chapter 12. It starts off, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. Abraham's belief in God isn't in question here. His belief is given. In part, he's heard God. You see, God has talked to him. Belief seems pretty easy when God is talking right at you. But God has asked Abram, and remember, this is before God changes his name to Abraham. God asks Abraham to pick up and go. And Abraham takes his wife and others, and he goes. And his act of going is the beginning not of an act of belief, but an act of faith. It's not an act of belief, but it's a response to his belief. This is interesting in part because throughout Abraham's journey, we're going to see an absolutely unwavering belief in God, but a very much wavering faith in God. For Abraham, belief in God, belief that God exists, that God makes promises, that God is powerful, and even that God can re be relied upon, these are all beliefs that if Abraham was asked, he would very likely affirm at every point in his life. In fact, there's nothing whatsoever to indicate that he wouldn't. But faith or trust in God, reliance upon God, 
This is when belief becomes something that needs action or response or a way of living or acting. It is when belief stops being an idea and instead is lived out in behavior. And for Abraham, this is hard. Abraham questions God repeatedly when God makes God's promises. Abraham gives in to fear when he feels threatened, even though God promises protection. In fact, at one point, he tells a hostile host that his wife is his sister, and the host then sleeps with his wife. He does this twice. When God also promises him that Sarah will become pregnant in her advanced age, he gives up waiting and he chooses instead to sleep with Sarah's servant and he gets her pregnant. When God again says that Sarah will have a baby, he falls on his face laughing at God. You see, when God makes promises, promises that Abraham certainly believes are coming from God. He knows they are. When God makes promises, Abraham is hot and cold on whether his actions, how he lives his life, reflect Abraham's belief, his his faith. You see, his faith beyond his belief is what's faltering at times. So all of these things, all of these things happen. Everything from the passing off of his wife as his sister, to the laughing at God more than once, to the sleeping with Hagar. I I should also mention, though, that on several occasions, Abraham absolutely does exhibit faith. Abraham is faithful when he listens to God's promises at the very beginning and leaves everything and goes to a place he doesn't know. Abraham is faithful when he listens to God, when God Uh, When God says that God will protect Ishmael in the text we looked at last week, when he says finally that Isaac will be born, he believes God and he listens. So Abraham is this complicated mess of a human, a complicated mess of unwavering belief, but absolutely wavering ability to to or consistency when it comes to living like he believes. When it comes to reliance and trust and faith in God. So we reach this morning's text, arguably one of the most difficult texts in all of the Bible. Difficult because it is dreadful to think about it. In fact, if you search the internet, there is wonderful fine art depicting the story of Abraham and Isaac. But it's all inescapably unsettling and graphic, as it should be, as the text is. But the text opens with three little words that I think can get lost. After these things. I remember reading it once and thinking, what are, what are these things? But I've just spent the past several minutes recounting to you these things, and there are more. They're the journey of Abraham. A journey that reaches its peak with this story of Abraham's three-day walk with his son. A terrible walk. A walk that is at once confusing as it is disgusting. A walk to a mountain upon which Abraham, one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. A walk in which Abraham submits himself to this request of God. Like so many people, I've wondered what was going on in Abraham's mind on that walk. 
Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard wrote a book called Fear and Trembling on this very wonder. Kierkegaard writes that Abraham's actions are incomprehensible. They make no sense. And especially that walk with Isaac, he looks at it, he says, it is impossible to even begin to understand this. So he rewrote four different scenarios in which Abraham's humanity would be more understandable and relatable. But what this exposes is that he struggles really with, with this question of faith, of what it means to live in faith, and whether Abraham's actions and his faith are even to be modeled. But where is faith in this story of Abraham? Where does the faith come from? Where do we see the faith? Is faith really the response of Abraham when he takes that walk with Isaac and binds Isaac with rope atop a pile of firewood? Raises the knife. Is that Abraham's faithfulness? I don't know. I do think, though, that the church has historically focused on God's instruction to sacrifice Isaac and on Abraham's acquiescence to God's instruction and that Abraham's faith is exhibited, or should I even say confessed, in that image of Abraham holding the knife above his son. But you see, I struggle with that as the image of faith or the model of faith. Instead, let me offer another way of looking at this, a way that has helped me to better understand what it means to live in faith, to follow God, to confess my belief, not merely through words, but through the way I live my life. Abraham has no clue what he's doing. He's trying to follow God. He's stumbled on the journey. He's tried to be obedient. And what he ultimately discovers is that he had to follow God to that mountain before God's provision, in this case, an animal that would be the sacrifice, God's provision, God providing, God's creative work in Abraham's life is that it is when Abraham acknowledges that all that he knows, all that he has, all of his life, his future, everything, including those things he treasures the most, belong to God. It is then that he sees that he can truly live in faith, that his faith becomes more than a theoretical belief, but rather a lived reality. Surrender to God, the God who desires only good for us, the God who created us in the divine image, the God who brings salvation, the God who sacrificed his son for you and for me. Surrender to God becomes our openness to God's work in our lives. Our faith, even. Contemporary theologian Richard Rohr writes that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. The Heidelberg Catechism is one of the documents in our Book of Confessions. It was written in 1562, And it was an attempt to resolve some of the conflicts between the budding Reformed churches, the Lutheran church and the Reformed church movement. It follows a traditional format of a catechism, which means that it's a question and answer format. The first question of the catechism is, what is your only comfort 
in life and in death? The answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Surrendering ourselves to God, thy will be done. Surrendering ourselves to God, surrendering our control. It's in response to our faithful God who provides. This is where God's bountiful gift of grace becomes our gift to receive by the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, Christ assures us of eternal life because we belong to Christ. And it is this, this belonging to Christ that makes us as the catechism reads, wholeheartedly willing and ready to live for Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This faith that we long for, this reconnection to the God who created us, the God who desires us, the God who designed us, this faith is a faith that God provides. This faith is a gift we celebrate and more fully find in our surrender to God and our willingness to say to God, use me, show me, show me your love, transform me with your grace. What is my only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.